Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And today's episode, we are going to be talking predictive prefetching using machine learning and Guest.js, as well as some performance stuff uh, within Angular. So it should be pretty cool. Let's kick it off. Uh, say hi to our panelists today. Joining us, we've got Alyssa Neifel. Alyssa, how's it going? Hey, glad to be here. And we've got Mike Brocky with us. Mike, what's going on? Not too much. Happy to be hanging out again. Yeah, back from a little time off. It's nice to have you back. Yeah, it's not the lighting in here. I'm just a really good tan, a little dark. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Just imagine, if you're listening to the audio, imagine Mike Brocky with a nice golden tan. And our guest today, we got Minko Getchev with us. Minko, how's it going? It's great. It's great to have here. you back here. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, great to be back. Yeah, always, always fun. Uh, looking forward to... You dropping a ton of knowledge on us today. We're pretty excited. Uh, Miko, why don't you give our viewers a little background on who you are for the yeah. ones that might not know? Sure. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm Inko, and I've been working on different Angular-related things. Uh, I was uh, having a lot of fun contributing to the core at some point. After that, uh, I worked on a tool for static analysis of Angular applications in order to enhance the tooling further. Um, did some work uh, around the um, Angular JS style guide in the past, and so I. I worked together with John Papa, Igriminar, Warbell, and a few other folks on the new Angular style guides. And uh, basically, I'm interested in Angular tooling. So that's what my focus is in my spare time. And in my full-time job, I'm working on an educational platform called Rhyme. It's uh, rhyme.com. So that's pretty much it, a short overview. Nice. Lots of stuff, lots of stuff. My favorite too is uh, uh, for people that might not know, uh, you're kind of the guiding force in Codalizer as well, right? Oh yeah, that's that's one of the tools for static analysis that I've been working on for kind of enforcing best practices from the style guide by statically analyzing your codes and just suggesting fixes or doing fixes in in some cases. Yeah, so all, anytime we're using the, like an Angular CLI project in, in our IDEs or editors, we see these new notifications that tell us like this smarts about Angular and how we might be formatting stuff. Like that's driven by the Codalizer magic. That's I, I love that. I get excited about that. Sorry. So I just wanted to <laughs> mention that. <laughs> all right. So we're talking uh, all kinds of stuff on performance and stuff today, right? Yeah. We are, yeah, we can discuss, I guess. Uh... Runtime performance, network performance, and few cool things that uh, we've been working on on network performance together with the Chrome team and Gatsby and yeah, a few other folks. Very nice, very nice. All right, well, should we get into it? Yeah, yeah. I guess we can get started. Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, so uh, uh, usually when I'm so I've been giving a lot of performance talks recently. And um, usually, I'm focused mostly on runtime performance because well, Mike and the rest of the Angular CLI team, they're doing so much in the Angular CLI side that there is not too much from our side from as consumers of the tool to, to do in order to enhance our, our network performance even further. We have uh, great build optimization there with the build optimizer, great minification. Uh, we have great bundle compression. Basically, we have everything right there. And in the end, for us, there is nothing much left. Well, except a couple of enhancements, such as lazy loading and analyzing our bundles to make sure that we don't have redundant dependencies. But that's something that we can take a look at a bit after. 
So with network performance, there are a few cool things, however, which are completely dependent on, on us. So in order to provide a nice application with fast runtime performance, for example, to not have sluggish typing in uh, text boxes or to have instant rendering of the application right after it has been loaded, there are a few, to, a few things that uh, we can apply. But first, uh, let me just clarify further the difference between runtime and the network performance. Uh, basically, the network performance is the amount of time required for our application to get downloaded from the network, that's from the server. That's pretty much like um, the most um, simplified way to explain what's going on. Because we need to download these assets from the server. So with the network performance, we are just making sure by enhancing network performance, we're just making sure that this the network the resources get downloaded into the most efficient and fast manner. And with the runtime performance, when we already have our application rendered and we're interacting with it, we would want to make sure that uh, the user has smooth interaction with the application. We don't, um, we don't, um, the main UI thread is capable of actually computing everything on time so that the browser can achieve 60 frames per second rendering. And yeah, that's what I was saying, that the Angular COI team is doing already an amazing job in optimizing uh, the bundles. We can do a little bit more that uh, I guess we can discuss afterwards. But uh, the, the runtime performance is in our own hands. Yeah, like you mentioned, when I want to plug one of your talks, which is like probably one of my favorite talks of all time. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, is your performance talk, like you said, you've been given that recently um, about this runtime performance, right? And the things that we can do as Angular developers um, to, to enhance that and really be focused on that. And I think it's such a great talk that covers you know, these little things that we can do, but it's it's really things that we can just get in the habit of, of the way we develop Angular apps, right? They're not complex things to do, but if we take them on, we can notice, uh, keep ourselves out of these performance hits that we, we can easily get into, right? Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for this, actually. Really appreciate that you found the talk useful and uh, you like the content. Yeah, so that's, uh, I think you have, you have one from Angie Comp, one from a couple other places, right? That yeah. people can go watch, right? Yeah, I uh, so on Rhyme.com, we're going to start a, a free workshop for people who would want to go through the material hands-on. Uh, I, I did a couple of sessions. About 300 people took the, the session already. And I'm going to open it to basically to run constantly so anyone can log in and get a virtual machine and practice. That's going to happen probably in a couple of days. So it'd be like a workshop you do online? Yeah, a workshop I do online. Sometimes I'll not be there. Uh, but they'll be still able to see the video and practice in the virtual machines. And sometimes I will be there helping in the chat or over audio. So oh, that's cool. we can have conversation. Yeah. Very cool. So that's a great resource for all this like kind of runtime type of stuff that they can learn and, and go and get that, right? Um, so maybe we could dive into the the what we're talking about with network performance and stuff, all this new fascinating stuff you've got going on with that and like really what what's the thinking behind, you know, like like how do we approach that as Angular developers going like like is this a concern that we need to tackle? And then if we do, like how do we tackle that, right? Yeah. I guess there are two big areas where we can do optimization. The one is one of them is shrinking the bundle sizes, not only JavaScript, but also even CSS and shrinking the, the, the amount of assets that we're transferring. Uh, and the second one is just reducing the network requests. 
or at least not not performing them when the browser is doing the initial rendering or something critical which can uh, introduce additional additional slowdowns in the in the user interaction with the application for example extremely critical is to get very fast initial rendering uh, of the application because otherwise the conversion rate can drop dramatically and uh, Rob from the Angular team, he uh, on two ngcoms ago, I think, he published. Uh, he he shown a research from DoubleClick that it took about eight, 19 seconds for the average web app to load over a three G network. That's very sad. Uh, so, I I definitely think that I'll not convert to see user if it takes me that long to to see what's going on the page. So that's extremely critical to optimize our. Um, network performance and to provide the assets to the browser that the browser need to process and render after that. However, after the browser have downloaded all the assets, there is another thing uh, which is from very uh, critical importance. Some assets are more expensive than others. So we have images, which are great, and they are usually big, although we can apply some compression. There is a great book by Adius Manny actually called image.guide, uh, image I think. Uh, so you can take a look at it, how I'm going to actually apply it, I guess, as resources in the end of the podcast. So, so we can share it with everyone. And uh, it, it, ex it explains in details how we can optimize our images. But images are still much more, uh, much cheaper compared to JavaScript. Uh, because after we download the same amount of JavaScript as uh, an image, let's say 170K, that's another research from Addy, uh, where he explains the cost of JavaScript there. So it turns out that the images are about 25 times more expensive than uh, images are 25 times cheaper compared to JavaScript. So image, so JavaScript is 25 times more expensive. That's in, that was insane. Right? So, so the results. So I knew what was going on in the browser. Uh, you need to download the JavaScript. You need to process it because it's a programming language which the browser needs to like execute. So it needs to go through all the like standard phases, lexical syntax analysis, so on and so forth. And right after that, you need to execute this chunk of JavaScript. So, well, this introduces huge slowdowns. Like you can, I think it's about three seconds to process 170k of uh, JavaScript in the browser. That's and there are tools which help in the process. For example, Facebook released prepack recently, not too recently, maybe a year and a half ago already. Uh, and it is not a standard minifier or something that we're used to. It just takes our final bundle that Webpack has produced and evaluates this as part of the build process. So evaluates it as much as possible. So it uh, can reduce uh, the runtime, the initial runtime of the JavaScript after the browser downloads from the network. But still, there is that much that the tooling can do in this specific case. It's kind of crazy. It's like building the build, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah very good point. Yeah. Yeah, and like you mentioned, uh, there's kind of like two avenues to that uh, with the network performance, right? It's like that initial load and initial delivery, which I think Sometimes, I mean, I, I find myself as a developer when I'm working in my local environment, right? 
I mean, and especially with the concept that we're dealing with kind of like a single page app sort of scenario, which really kind of throws a wrench. I think if you've been developing for web for a long time and have used to like, you know, server side rendering and stuff like that. And then in this single page app, you kind of get lost in the, the realization that like once that initial payload is delivered, then you have your app running and you have like data calls going, but not so much of loading of new pages. Right. So you're almost in this kind of, I, I got my stuff. I got my JavaScript executed. I'm good now. Right. It's fast. But that other avenue is the fact that then you may be lazy loading routes, getting more JavaScript in there, that sort of thing. And so it's really that twofold. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, there is no standard recipe that we can just follow into everything to work. Everything can work um, great. It's just there are different application specific optimizations that we need to do. And uh, all, all this we can do only with very careful profiling to see what's going on. Interesting, interesting. And so then, so kind of, I mean, the first thought is like, well, we as humans, have, as developers, right, have to do that. We have to think about that process, think about like, what are we going to, where do we want to optimize, right? Yeah. The Angular CLI provides a great way to explore our bundles and look for redundant dependencies, right? We have Source Map Explorer as a tool which the CLI exposes. So that's great. So we can just pass our final production bundle or several bundles if we're using lazy loading or we consider the vendor and the app bundle separately. And we can see what is actually being part of our bundle and we can decide what we can basically exclude, which is, which is the JavaScript which we, which we are actually not using in our final application and it has been, or we can just, I use more specific imports in order to, for example, if we're using Lodash, we can either import the entire Lodash or we can we can import uh, individual functions from it. Same, well, with Rx, things are a little bit different after the pipe operator. So now it's harder for us to shoot, uh, shoot ourselves in the foot, but still, we can see what exactly is going on there. So from that avenue, what we're trying to do, what you're explaining what we're trying to do is say, here's all of the stuff that we've, you know, built our application with, what can we first identify that's extra, extra stuff that we just never called or never do throughout any of our application? Can we get rid of that stuff, right? And start with that. Yeah. Like the source and explore, stuff like that, right? Yeah. Uh, and oh, about the network performance also, we can look at it from two different perspectives, both, I guess from how it impacts our business and how it impacts our users. Our business, well, first our users, they're going to be frustrated, I guess if the app is slow. So this is directly going to impact our, our business as well. Uh, it's going, going to reduce the conversion, the revenue, and everything. So uh, to get, get back to this, to the Source Map Explorer, yeah, it's, it provides great, great uh, framework for deciding what we are using in the app and how we can optimize it further. Um, and on the other hand, on the other hand side, uh, so we were, we had a lot of issues in initial versions of uh, the Angular compiler when it was generating a lot of a lot of source code for our components. <clears throat> but over time, in version four and in version six, uh, well, in version six there are still not such a major changes, but probably in version seven there is going to be a major change introducing Kyvi. Uh, this is going to let us reuse the bundles of our apps much more. So, for example. A Rob shown demonstration of how we can shrink the bundle size of our Hello World app to 2.8K or 2.7K with Broadly compression. That was pretty impressive. 
I know. There were so many people excited about that. I even was talking to like some internal people on the Google teams that aren't on the Angular team. And they were even, they were like, did you see that demo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty amazing. Uh, I got really excited as well. And I was thinking, whoa, my Angular app is finally going to disappear. Basically, <laughs> the browser is going to download it so fast. But when, you, when I think about it, most of my bundle is not actually Angular. It is still like some third-party dependencies that I've been using. For example, um, in our avatar uploads, we have a feature for automatically detecting the face of the user so that we can position properly the cropper. And this face tracking thing, it takes it's about 400k, I think. So yeah, this is something we should definitely load lazily. And these are some decisions which we can make by looking by looking at our application and just deciding what we can postpone and what we can load later. Yeah, so that's like the next step, right? Is like first we eliminate the things of the libraries that pieces that we don't need, right? And now we're into the part of going, okay, well, when people start using our apps, like what parts are they hitting? What parts can we defer until they hit later in case they never go to that piece or that sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, at the same time, there are a lot of people think that, well, we have tools like service workers and universal, which are improving our performance a lot. And that's also true. However, with universal, we can render our app and show it to the user. But without JavaScript, the JavaScript being there, it's not interactive. So the user cannot use it, actually. It, it can eventually buffer events with preboot or any other tool, but it's not completely functional. And with service workers, they're also amazing, but they're, they can perform some very advanced caching after the initial application loads, which doesn't solve our conversion problem. So, yeah. And the other aspect is the, the social sharing, right? Discovery pro and, and indexing and search, you know, result type of problem. That, that, that's with universal, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, well, uh, Angular, although, so we, we, I guess we mentioned that the runtime performance is cool and we have these uh, like on push and pure pipes things to take care of, of it. We have also the network performance where our JavaScript is maybe the most expensive fastest that we're transferring over the network. And uh, IV is unfortunately not going to completely solve all, our, all of our problems. We should just analyze our bundles and decide what we can keep, what we, what we, we should keep and what we can get rid of. And service worker are also amazing. Well, they're going to help us with like every subsequent page page uh, visit, so that we can have everything into the cache and they can deliver amazing user experience. Um, so, but Angular also provides another tool which can, which is, I, I, in my opinion, the most powerful one. We can delay the loading of the JavaScript associated with different parts of our application, so we can use lazy loading. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. I, this is the part that I'm super excited about. Are you excited about it or is it funny? I can't tell by the look on your face. Like, <laughs> is it exciting or hilarious? I, 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 I've decided to expire all emotions and it's just going to be words. <laughs> Emotionless dead words. Okay. Just like I type. It's exciting, haha. <laughs> No, it, it, it's super exciting to the idea that you can have a really complex uh, application with lots of logic, lots of different, different areas, but not 
expect your users to pay the price upfront for getting all those features. It's a little interesting because it's kind of almost like going back, right? So what I mentioned earlier, which is developing for the web back in the day where you'd, you'd hit this URL, you hit this URL, you get another you know, HTML page each time you navigate to it. Now we're, with lazy loading, it's almost like we're kind of deferring screens, right? And you're saying, okay, I'm going to go navigate to this order list screen and that's going to lazy load in. And it's almost like spa version of, I don't know, maybe analogy. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Uh version of a traditional web app, of traditional web page or something. Because I think maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it's me, but do people kind of think of when I when they approach lazy loading with an Angular, thinking about it in terms of almost like lazy loading features? Um, and so you're kind of almost thinking like this is the, a feature with some screen view or something that I'm lazy loading in? Or are we going further than that? I guess we can go to two different ways here. We can either go on lazy loading per page or lazy loading per, per component. So component-based lazy loading or page-based page lazy loading, which with the, so the component-based lazy loading is on lower level, lower level granularity. Basically, we are loading individual components there. Not, actually, that's the case completely, that's completely the case for page-based lazy loading, but at least we have uh, defined our split points. There are the individual pages that the router should load lazily. With the component-based lazy loading, what we can do there is, uh, let's say we have a chat box somewhere somewhere on the screen. We know that no, almost nobody uses this chat box. So we can just put a placeholder, something like a remote proxy. That's, uh, that's uh, I guess, how you would call it in traditional design pattern terms. And when you click on this this chat box, the on behind, like on background, the the framework is going to just download the bundle associated with the chat box, and well, it is going to bootstrap the functionality, and you'll be able to interact with the application. So that's component-based lazy loading, and the route-based lazy loading is something that the router can do. But I think what uh, you're leading to is with the router out of the box. You can basically define, hey, I just want this route to be lazy. If it's requested, go and get it. Yeah. But so basically the two options that people are most familiar with is, hey, I've got a route. I want the JavaScript for it. I'm going to download it right up yeah. front, no issues. And then the other one is to lazy load it and say, hey, on demand, if I need it later on, if somebody clicks on that particular link, like an admin router or anything else, that it will get that JavaScript at that time. But I think what you're going to lead in to talk about is somewhere in the middle, in between those two. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's the so the component-based lazy loading is not too popular in Angular. There, you can use dynamic yes, like yes module imports, where you can download individual components which can be rendered somewhere. I, I, actually, with Angular, I've been using most of the lazy loading of the router. I haven't been using this specific lazy loading strategy where I'm loading individual components on demand, but uh, that's another another good alternative for delaying the loading of some features when they're not required. Right. I, I was um, referring to like the preload. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The idea of preloading so that though you could basically tell your application of, hey, yeah, a lot of my users are going to be going to here eventually. So in your downtime, in between the user doing handling other events, go ahead and download this so it's ready when uh, they need it. Yeah, yeah, that's I was delaying this. That's the exciting thing. So I was delaying it. And... No, I don't want to talk about the exciting. 
<laughs> See, now I'm gonna get emotional. <laughs> right, yeah, so we can we can delay the loading of some of the pages. Uh, for example, if we have a home page and about page, and the users are usually visiting the home page, and we know that it's not too likely for them to visit the about page, we can just keep the about page bundle on the server and do not load it in the browser. So we can just use load children in the in case of Angular and points to points to the bundle which is about the about bundle. And uh, the users are first going to open home. They're going to see the home page. And when they click on about, the browser is going to send a request to the network, downloads the about bundle, process it, and right after that uh, just uh, render the about page on the on the screen. But the important thing here is that we are getting this delay. We're getting a little bit of latency be between the user clicking on the about button the about for the about page and the about page being rendered. So that's kind of kind of inconvenient for the user. It can still introduce some additional delays, especially when the user is on mobile network. So okay. we and that goes to your point of that you got to download that JavaScript bundle, so you're waiting for that, and then you got to have that JavaScript execute, right? Yeah. And so that's that delay that you're mentioning in terms of lazy loading. Um, and then the other thing I think it does is it it you know puts the onus on a developer to now think like, okay, that could happen. So now do I change my UI around? Do I have loading spinners? What do I need to do to incorporate that as well, right? So yeah. not only for the users, but also for the developers and, and their approach. Yeah, exactly. And from user perspective, from user, user experience point of, of view, we should provide some feedback to the user that something is going on, not uh, the user just waiting for seconds to see the about page. And because they're, they're, ju they're just going to keep clicking on the button until they give up. So spinner is one idea, which is fine. Uh, but still, we are not providing. Well, the, the, best possible, the best possible thing to do is just to immediately render the about page, right? But still, it is still on the server, so how we are going to render it immediately onto the page. So what we can do is to pre-download the bundle. So the user visits the home page, uh, Angular renders the home page, and on background, we are downloading the about bundle because we think that the user may eventually go there. So we are just prefetching this asset, which is staying into the browser cache so that it is available there when the user needs it. Uh, and yeah. So essentially at that point, they're, they're not blocked by hitting the home page, right? So they get the home page experience. It's not blocking. There's just another asynchronous request that happens to prefetch the about page, you know, so they can still interact with that home page. And now in case they click, it's already there. Yeah, exactly. Everything is happening on background. So it's not blocking for the, for the user though, and for its experience, for uh, their experience. So the prefetching is preloading. That's like synonyms. Uh, it's so. Uh, we, oh, sorry, <laughs> was that no good? <laughs> it, it's uh, no, it's it's pretty good. It's uh, very. It's kind of tricky. So the Chrome team introduced this link prefetch and link preload, which have some difference, and we can mention uh, that was actually the next thing that I was going to say. Uh, because after from here, I was going to go to the preloading strategies of Angular, because Angular the, the Angular router already has been developed with this in mind that we may eventually want to preload some of our bundles and put them into the cache or in memory so that they're available for the user when they navigate to other pages. 
Hey, I got a quick question that popped in my mind that a little panic question here before we move on. I don't want to derail it to go too deep in this question, but I, I do want an answer. If I have uh, my bundle right for my home and I have my bundle for my about that I'm lazy loading and both of them use some RX, same RxJS operators, are those RxJS operators code going to end up in both bundles? Probably Mike is the best person to answer here. <laughs> You know it's bad when it's passed to Brocky. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Um, I think the appropriate answer is it depends. Um, that sometimes those will get broken out into a common uh, bundle, uh, but sometimes they will be included in both or multiple, depending upon how you have uh, configuration set up, I believe is the right answer. That was my developer mode kicking in and going, oh, crap, do I need to optimize that? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I that's think a CLI, I, I think the CLI has logic built in to make the appropriate decision based off of how big those shared uh, the shared pieces of code are uh, to determine whether or not to break those out separately or uh, to leave them where they were. There is one more problem with this. If you have two separate two copies of the same third-party dependencies in, in two bundles, and this dependency is not stateless. This may, may create serious issues. Uh, I was trying to run Universal in a service worker some time back, and but that was during Angular Alpha, maybe, or something. So I was having two different copies of Angular, and the providers were different. So that's it can get a mess, big of a mess, I guess. Yeah. And this is something that we're going to work on in Guess.js as well at some point. Wait, take that step back. You were trying to render Universal, like render the application inside of a service worker inside of the browser yeah it was i was able to achieve a result in the end like i was able to do that but it wasn't too useful i, I was gonna say <laughs> I mean, you have two different uh, opposing things and i mean running all in the browser is a whole different animal of uh craziness but the idea of taking service worker where you can run on things online or offline in the browser and then universal which is basically pre-rendering on the server and why you would want to utilize both of those at the same time is a use case that I don't fully understand. Yeah, what's up with your crazy experimentation? <laughs> <laughs> at this time, I was working with uh, Indiegur Mobile Team together with Jeff and with Alex. Uh, the idea was to generate application shell in the browser and cache it into the service worker. And uh, yeah, you were, we were doing some experiments by using Universal on the server side in order to hint us which can be part of the app shell and doing some things in the service worker. It should be still somewhere on the mobile toolkit in the mobile toolkit repository. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty fun. To be clear, as of right now, App Shell render pre-renders your App Shell route at build time is the way that App Shell currently works. Yeah, well, at that time, it, we we're doing that so. So uh, the universal renders something uh, which is set, which is with some specific pre with some specific providers which are hinting that you actually want to render an app show, not the entire application. Our Angular service worker, which is now completely different, sends requests to the server, gets this thing which is supposed to be an app show. So some things are annotated as part of the app show, others are not. In the service worker, we're traver traversing the rendered view excluding some of the elements and also making requests to the network in order to 
download some of the images which are supposed to be part of the app shell in order to turn them into base64 and inline them into the app shell. And right after that, and it's the same for styles, of course. And after that, putting this thing into the service worker sketch, that was that's that was the thing that we ended up working. But anyway, that's that's uh, not related to the lazy loading strategies. Uh, I'll be right back. I'm gonna go take some Advil. <laughs> <laughs> So right, the so prefetching strategies. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Angular, the Angular uh, router comes uh, comes uh, in with some preloading strategies for the for the for uh, downloading lazy loaded routes. And the actual the only implementation that it comes uh, with by default is the preload o o routes. I think that's how it is called. And it preloads o routes. That's what it does. So uh, you set it as values of the preloads config property of the for root, uh, like of the module which you need to include into our like main components, like root components. And from there on, it is just going to download all, all the different chunks which are associated with lazy, lazy routes in your application, like completely everything, which uh, might be good for some smaller applications, but for bigger applications, when you have several thousands of bundles, it definitely doesn't make, uh, it, it is definitely not feasible. It's, uh, it can create a lot of issues, especially on mobile networks. Which makes sense, because not everything is black and white. You have to find that grayer in the middle. So what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there are two, there are actually two things about it. One of them is that it sends XML HTTP requests to the network. It doesn't use preload prefetch, uh, the meta tags, which are hinting the browser to download something on background with lower priority. And the second one is that it downloads everything. Um, yeah, and we can come back to what uh, Alice, Alice was. Uh, talking about previously the preload and prefetch, the difference between these two. So looking at how Chrome implements these things, preload uh, resources are, res to preload the resources to download something with higher, that we have higher confidence for it that is going to be used by the current page. And we're prefetching assets which are likely to be visited in future navigations. So I guess preload is something which ha has higher preloading resources, has higher Higher, that we have higher level of confidence that these resources are going to be used compared to prefetching them. At least that's how Chrome thinks about it. I think we're all kind of letting that sink in. <laughs> yeah, can you say that again? So preloading, you said, has a higher level. We have higher level of confidence that these resources are going to be needed in future. And with prefetching assets, we have lower level of confidence. So. Assets which we want to prefetch, they're going to be downloaded with lower priority compared to mm -hmm. resources which we would want to preload. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying, but you're saying this is how Chrome looks at it. Does that mean this is not how you look at it? <laughs> uh, I look there... at it. Yeah, I look oh. at it the same way as Chrome. Okay. I, I'm because I don't think there was uh, like defined previously specified way to look at it. So okay. I'm taking with Chrome. Gotcha. OK, yeah. so if we may not want to do all of it ahead of time, 
like how do we make the decision of what we're going to do what we should do yeah we can yeah so we can provide the custom preloading strategy that's one of the one of the ways to approach the problem we can use custom preloading strategy where uh, we are for example, we have looked at Google Analytics, and we see that some pages are being very often very frequently used. Other pages are not being that frequently used. And we can have a Boolean flag, which says true for pages that would want to preload and false for pages that would not want to preload. By pages, I mean the bundles associ associated with these pages. So that's a pretty good solution. But it's a, it's a binary choice, unfortunately. So we, have, we can either preload something or not preload it. So that's one strategy, which I think it's pretty good. And the first, the first issue with it is that it is binary. So we can either preload something or we, we, we don't preload it. So we cannot have any other variables, such as the network connection of the user or the device that the user is using. This is one of the problems. Uh, we cannot make decision based on that, whether we would want to preload more bundles or less bundles based on the of the user's connection. And uh, uh, the second thing is that we cannot think about, uh, we, we cannot only prefetch only the bundles which are going to be required, needed at a given point in the user's navigation. So for example, if the user can go only to about from home and the user cannot go to, let's say, the page tools, there is no point for us to download tools when we are in home because there is no link to, to tools at all. And the users have never done such a transition from home to tools. So there is no point for us to download tools at all. So we can delay this until we go to a page which links to tools. And with the preloading strategies, there is no, no, no trivial way to do that right now. So I I think I cut out because I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I, I want to touch really quick back on that we were talking about with like this being the binary choice, right? True or false, right? And so we have our own custom strategy and we say these four lazy little routes, they're the ones we want to prefetch. Um, we need to configure that to say true in our strategy. And then that builds and then our build of our bundle of our code is just kind of hard coded at that point that those are going to be preloaded, right? Yeah. So that's where we're kind of like, okay, we can't really adjust on the fly or anything on that, it's, it's just yes or no. Yeah. Now, a little bit more detail on that. So with this custom preload strategy, um, that's something that the router exposes that you can define when you want to preload a particular route based off of some sort of logic. Is that function executed synchronously or could it uh, return asynchronously? Like, can you have it um, determine that logic based off of other asynchronous calls because it's being executed real time in the browser um, as your application is running to determine that logic. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I, I think it's asynchronous. It is using observables, so you can even you should be even to set even able to send uh, an API request. Yeah, you should be even able to send an HTTP request to a service which tells you should I download this, should I prefetch this route or not. So uh, depending on the implementation of our preloading strategy, the choice might not be necessarily binary or synchronous. It can be asynchronous and not binary. So imagine we have a service on the backend, uh, which we have an API endpoint on the backend, which tells us what is the confidence 
level that given page is going to be visited. So in our preloading strategy, we can send requests to this API endpoint and uh, get all the different pages which are likely to be visited at a given point. And after that, the, the preloading strategy can make a decision based on that, what needs to be prefetched and what not. That's, that's uh, one possible solution that we can go to. The, the only drawback, I guess, is that we need to send another request to the network, which, which might not be, well, it depends on the application that we have. It might be a good idea or it might not be. But through universal, we could potentially provide uh, some sort of map of that information <laughs> into that that function could use real time in the browser, therefore no additional request. Um, but at the same time, it depends upon how, how large the map of your application yeah. is, uh, whether yeah. or not you want to do that or separate that out into an asynchronous, another asynchronous call, weigh the differences between the two. Yeah, that's actually something what GetJS does. It behaves like universal um, in this in this sense. So so yeah, here comes the here here comes the universal answer actually. So I've been thinking about these problems uh, some time back, and it turns out that I'm not the, the only one thinking about them. Uh, like we're also thinking about it now too. <laughs> uh, so what happened was that uh, I started working on a solution which can work which which by using webpack and google analytics can decide which pages make sense to be downloaded at a given moment depending on uh, the user's navigation depending on the, the user's state actually in our application uh, so uh, let me just uh, uh, reflect on this one more time. So, so basically, by using Google Analytics data, I want to map the individual routes from there, the individual pages from there, to routes in our application, and respectively to bundles. So this mapping is kind of complicated to map routes from Google Analytics to make like pages to actual bundles in JavaScript. And right after that, while the user navigates in the page, decides which bundles we would want to prefetch. Is this different, uh, like per user, or is yeah, it like yeah, analytic for your whole site on average? Yeah, it can be different per user. That's that's another thing. We can go even more complicated, but <laughs> th that's uh, uh, that's a really accurate way to predict the user's behavior. So I I wrote an article about this: how we can use static analysis and techniques from machine the machine learning in order to predict what the user behavior is going to be. And based on the user's navigation behavior, we can pre-download, prefetch some of the bundles. And it turns out that um, the Chrome team, specifically Adios Mani and uh, Katie Hempinius, were working on this. So uh, yeah, we basically combined forces uh, together with them and with them and uh, with Kyle from Gatsby and developed GSJS which is a tool which a set of tools which actually aims this to to predict the user behavior and based on this provide some conclusion which assets the user may need in future it actually tries to provide a little bit more but that's that's the start so get chess so when did how long ago was this that you did this uh, I, I think I did the initial version of the research in March, and in April and May, we 
compiled all the things that we had under the GitJS organization. And uh, yeah, currently we are we have Gatsby plugin. So Gatsby is uh, something like a static site generator with React uh, on top of React. Uh, it is already using. It already has GitJS uh, plugin. Fortunately, GitJS also works pretty well with Angular exactly because. Uh, I've been playing a lot with the compiler, and the compiler can very accurately uh, provide me an idea of uh, how the different routes are defined in the application. So statically, basically, the compiler can look at the route definition and output me output just a huge array with with them, so I can map them to Google Analytics routes. So that was that was pretty fun, and I have Angular version working. Woo! <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So here's the follow-up question. So with having that map of predictive routes to bundles, have you been able to do any analysis to of implementing this on a site to see the accuracy of what you're predicting and um, whether or not you're preloading the appropriate bundles? Yeah. It's uh, so it depends on the model that this implements. Currently, uh, we are using uh, Markov chain, which is a kind of a simplified model, which which has its own like, huge benefits. Uh, it's not too accurate though. So it looks only at, at your current page, and based on the current current page that you have visited, it can decide which pages you are most likely to be to visit next. So it doesn't consider your navigation behavior previously, your navigation history. And okay. we are looking at um, recurrent neural networks right now, which is something fun uh, to be looking at. Uh, they are, they're, they're very useful for modeling of uh, sequencing, sequential events, basically. So such as visiting pages or even, even natural language processing, where you, you take a look at the sequence of words and you try to make a conclusion what's part of the speech this word is, for example. These are all sequences. So that's pretty amazing how this model can work in all these different scenarios only when you need the data to be sequential, right? So that's pretty amazing. Um, and we're looking at, into this, how this can eventually improve the accuracy even further. I think uh, I, I did some, some uh, benchmarks in order to see how accurately we are guessing um, the next page or how how at least how more much more efficient the, the 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 app is doing. So we are looking at providing more accurate benchmarks, but uh, we we don't have uh, anything yet uh, about this. Uh, so you said right now it's using the a markup chaining model, but it's like might not always use this model. Yeah, it may use neural network in future. Okay. Um, and yeah. Uh, it has like both approaches have their pros and cons, and we're going to explore the accuracy even further. But for sure, it is uh, it is performing more accurately just uh, compared to just by arbitrary assigning priorities to the individual bundles based on our own feelings. <laughs> I feel like this bundle is not that important. <laughs> yeah. It's That's what I usually do, actually. So it's probably outperforming my math.random as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is still this is at build time, right? Yeah. So at build time, we're collecting the routes, getting the data from Google Analytics, 
and uh, mapping these, basically creating a mapping between these two, uh, and uh, building the model. And this model just accepts a page as an input and receives the possible navigations as an output by, by assigning probability to each one of them. And right after that, we're taking this and put it, putting it into the main bundle of the application. And from there, the guess.js runtime is asking on each page navigation uh, the model what other pages are going to be likely to be visited next. And based on this list, we're just prefetching the most likely to be visited bundles to be required. Yeah. OK, and so then this is something that we would add into our build pipeline, um, not necessarily something that we would you know, update our code base and then commit to the code changes or anything like that, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I love most about it, actually. So, so yeah. I, I have one question. So well, I start off and I'm at the root of the application. And we go ahead and we do this predictive analysis to see what other routes to preload. And say I'm at the home page, and then by chance, I go to another route that was preloaded. And from there, because I've got this really big site that's totally arbitrary and does nothing at this point, that has all these other routes that it, you could potentially navigate to. Are you then able to further do additional analysis to say, hey, I'm at this route, where might I go to preload and go that uh, to be able to further explore out that tree of preloading rather than just an initial uh, route transformation? Yeah, yeah. At, at, at any point, at any page, you know where the, where the user is likely to go next at any page, unless you don't have Google Analytics data. In such case, like there is nothing we can do. Then you uh, fall back to my path at random. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or like personal feelings. <laughs> One of these two. <laughs> yes. I just wanted to make sure that it's not just a one-time upfront loading feature of, hey, my application loads and bootstraps itself to, and the router initializes to say, hey, go ahead and preload a few things. Uh, but it can go further that if you have um, a dashboard that goes to a sub page that then goes to possibly three different sub pages that it will preload one or two of those uh, to be able to essentially preload out the entire tree in your uh, lifecycle of the entire application versus just an initial load. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it does. It it's it get, it has information on each individual state in the application page. Yeah, it's uh, what it does right now, and uh, also. So there are two big issues with this. Uh, one of them is to not perform overfetching. So overfetching is going to be a problem spe specifically on mobile networks if you fetch too much more data compared to uh, what's, uh, what you need. And this is the problem with the preload all modules or preload all route strategy. And also there is one Webpack plugin uh, for preloading all the assets that you you have as part of our production build, it just in it, it just puts all the different link uh, preload tags in your head, and it, it downloads completely everything, which can be kind of slow. Uh, with guess.js, we are sure for we are sure that we are preloading stuff depending on the threshold that we have set, and we are sure that we are not preloading too much stuff because we are still ignoring some things. And we are also sure that we are doing all of this in some reasonable, uh, taking might some uh, reasonable chances for the user to go somewhere. Because well, we are considering real data that we have from Google Analytics, and we are cutting the pages which are not likely to be visited, cutting the pages 
yeah, and that's it. And we're preloading everything else. So this is all decided like ahead of time and there's like a big fat map that's like if they go here then this 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 if they go here then this 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 it's not like as i go here then behind the scenes somewhere this is generating a new map right yeah it's something like that it's predefined map and um the map yeah that's another problem because we don't want to introduce one megabyte of javascript only in order to predict where you're going to go next and Prefetch your. I was gonna say that sounds insane. What what is the answer here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and prefetch like your five k. Um, there is so uh, there is a compression of this Markov chain that currently I'm doing. So it is in the end it is not more than like several. For example, if you have a hundred pages, it is going to be it is going to contain like several hundreds of numbers, which is not too big. Uh, in order to create this mapping. Each page is a string, but internally uh, with uh, GetJS, we're doing some compression in order to shrink this matrix even further. But also that's one of the advantages of the Markov chain, because the Markov chain is just one matrix, which on rows and the columns has the individual pages. And each individual cell, each individual cell in this matrix shows the probability for the user to go from one page to another. So it's that simple, the Markov chain. But uh... I'm assuming you must think there's a more accurate way with the neural network. Otherwise, why give up the markup chain? Yeah, exactly. So with uh, with the neural network, the things there are there, there are two main issues. Uh, actually, more than two main issues. Actually, there are much more. But uh, maybe the biggest concerns there are that the model can be a bit can be too big. Uh, so the entire TensorFlow, if we want to include the entire TensorFlow in our application, for example. That's like 400K for TensorFlow.js, which is kind of too big. And we also have our model that we need to put, put there. We are not sure how well TensorFlow is going to perform on mobile, because it uses some GPU acceleration by using WebGL. And uh, the third thing is how long it is going to, train, to take to train this model. Because at build time, like the ahead of time compilation is going to be very fast with Ivy. But well, we don't want to train a neural network for like half an hour and in order to get your bundle prepared. <laughs> so probably it's not going to take half an hour. Probably it's going to take less than a minute. But well, yeah, with Markov chain, it's instant. I don't know. I would give up half an hour if it was like <laughs> this super awesome, like very well, you know, like if it worked really well for users because that's half an hour of my time, not their time. Oh yeah, that yeah. You know, and the mistakes of whoops, we didn't preload that. So I I don't know. I I would almost vote for that, but at the same time, I guess there's no way that would be feasible. Every time you want to what build, it would take that thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's not going to be thirty minutes. So I'm saying this is an upper boundary that we should never reach. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what's the threshold? Because I mean, there's a lot that goes into this to make these uh or to build this uh, mapping out to decide whether or not you want to uh, preload an additional bundle or not. But if my application is just, hey, here's about me, and here's a contact me, and it's just two pages, I don't want that, that to put that type of investment in the application. You're saying like but a minim that, minimum bigness? Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm getting to. I mean, but if you have this 100-page application with 100 routes or hundreds of routes or thousands of routes, yes, then it may make sense. But 
when do you think you may hit that tipping point of saying, hey, maybe this is something I want to consider with my application? Yeah, there are uh, there are a couple of questions. So the first one is from how many pages you can go from a given page. If, if from any given page, you can only go to a single other page. For example, you're in a wizard. It doesn't really make sense to build such things. Uh, so this makes a lot of sense to be used for pages like Wikipedia, where you have a lot of a lot of a lot of possible transitions from given page. Also, um, another thing is how many pages you have. Of course, if you have too many pages, it makes sense. If you have three pages, well, it still doesn't. Uh, also, the bundle size is important, and the route, the routing, the the nesting of the routes is very important as well. We didn't have. We, we didn't talk about this uh, previously, but nested routes can create. So, so the, the, the idea of GetJS is that it should not only uh, do predictive prefetching, it should also think about your bundles and the most efficient way for them to be, to be formed. Uh, you, you should take a look at all the bundles, all the different JavaScript files, all of their dependencies. And GetJS should be able to decide how it should cluster the individual files, how it should combine them in a way which is most efficient, taking a look at the user behavior and also the bundle size. This, this, this sounds a little bit, uh, well, it's actually not, not too complicated. It's, it's, uh, the algorithm is, uh, it's not too complicated. Well, we're just looking at the bundle size and the, uh, possible navigations, and from there we are making some conclusions how given bundles should be clustered together into, into in, in order to be combined into a single bundle, and do not cost us an additional request. And we're also deciding uh, which pages should be prefetched at a given point. So it's not too bad, uh, not too complicated, but it is going to save so much time to the user, and it is going to make decisions which are actually based on data, which which is the most important thing. So our applications are going to get smarter and faster. That's that's why I'm excited about this project. Hey, it's got me thinking about uh, this build pipeline scenario, stuff like that. Is it going to introduce something new where, let's say I've got my code base that I haven't added any features to or changed for three months, right? It's stable. Yet my usability of the app, these metrics, popular like in order to take advantage of that with this pipeline do i just need to like regularly have a build and deploy process even though i didn't change any of my code in order to pick that up yeah 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 uh for example for the past few weeks every two weeks even without having changed your code base you can rebuild your application in order to to provide the most accurate uh bundle configuration and like prefetching strategy for your users because they change their behavior over time. Yeah, that's that's a lot of fun. So your build is getting adaptive. Uh, that is cool. <laughs> so then I guess the next tool would be like how to identify that like I've got a new smart build on my deployed to my production, right? Like what what version when does that change? What version is it? Because it's not actually the version of the code base built, right? It's this additional stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess yeah. is kind of the same concept of like your data changes over time, right? Your app may stay the same, but maybe the backing data changes. And so that changes like the feel of your app. You know, let's say you had a menu system in your app that was driven from data, right? And you change that to be four links instead of 
five, then your app has changed, but your deployed code's not changed. So I guess it's still kind of that same same yeah. vein, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and since yeah, since a lot is a lot is happening behind the hoods here. Although in the end, the source code is like two thousand tons of code. It's like not not enormous code code base. It's pretty small. It's gonna grow over time, but at least the base is pretty small. Uh, we we don't want to we want to automate the process also of this of this thing a lot because we, you don't want to rebuild your application every week and go through a lot of pain in order to do that and sacrifice your weekends or Netflix or whatever. We would want to uh, we would want to just press a button. We download the data from Google Analytics and after that build the model and uh, well uh, and that's it and plug this thing into the main bundle of the Angular CLI app. Um, so the only configuration that currently needs to be provided for an Angular application is just Google Analytics view ID, and that's it. So you just take the guest plugin, you place it into the Webpack config, you provide the Google Analytics view ID, and that's it. Uh, the guest plugin is going to ask you whether you provide read-only permissions to your Google Analytics data, uh, you can disagree if you don't want to. If you agree, we're going to fetch this data, build the model, plug it into the main bundle, and introduce a small runtime which tracks where you are at a given point and prefetches uh, the pages which are like it's previously. So that's the entire process. Very cool. And so like, that's something that, like you mentioned, you got to configure Webpack in order to do that, right? So like if I have an existing Angular CLI project, What's my road to get there on that? Uh, so uh, with Angular CLI 1.7, you were able to eject the app and plug this uh, into uh, the Webpack config. With Angular CLI version 6, you, cannot, you, you cannot eject your app anymore. Uh, you can. Uh, wh what I saw is that there was uh, Manfred built a tool which allows you to extend your Angular CLI build. I haven't looked at it yet, so I can I cannot uh, confirm that this is a new way to achieve the same result with the newer version of the CLI. Probably, probably uh, Mike will be able to help and uh, confirm how what is the best way to include one additional plugin in your Webpack configuration. Um, that's to be determined. Uh, the idea of ejecting um, or something similar will be coming. Uh, in the not too distant future. Um, I'm also just a day or so removed from getting back from vacation. So uh, my information may not be accurate. Uh, so I'll just caveat and uh, put a little asterisk next to my face or something in the video. But um, as of right now, I don't believe there is a way uh, with version six to do that. And I'm not familiar with uh, the piece that man for Bill. Uh, I know that he worked on something using uh, for elements. But that's completely different than this. So, okay, yeah. So I'm maybe not, I'm is, not sure. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there is no way to achieve this with Angular version uh, six. Uh, However, however if you didn't want to do it as part of your build chain, but make an additional API call out to get that additional information to make those decisions, you can certainly do that. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can do that even right. So, uh, get just on top of the. So on, on top of this inversion of control thing that it does, where it includes everything in your bundle and you don't have to touch anything, you can use uh, an API. So it, it exposes one function called guess. You pass uh, and you invoke guess, and guess just guesses. That's it. It just guesses where you're going to go next. 
So at, in your preloading strategy, what you can do is just invoke guess. Guess is going to return the number of routes that you can visit next. And uh, that's it. You can just download only these routes and nothing else. Very cool. All right, well, we're at the top of the hour. Anything else we want to add here before we wrap up? It's uh, Yeah, it's a pretty exciting project. There are a lot of things, but I guess we can stop here. <laughs> we can certainly have another episode if you want to do that. I really do. Yeah, that's yeah. After we have the chunk clustering, clustering chunks together in order to make sure that we don't send redundant HTTP requests, that's going to be a huge win as well. So that's going to be a good milestone. Very cool. All right, so where can people go to start learning more about this and playing with it? So we're, we're, we'll be working on the documentation in the near future. Uh, currently, they can go to guess.js, uh, so github.com slash guess-js dash guess. There is already a lot of, there are a lot of already, a lot of readme's there, uh, which also shows sample projects which are using the tool. So uh, yeah, um, I think the information there should be a good start. And from there on, we're going to build some more advanced um, documentation and a documentation website, which uses guest.js internally in order to dogfood the work. Cool. And then you have some posts on your blog, right, that cover some of the stuff? Oh, yeah. Uh, so the implementation details can be found into uh, the, a lot of, one title with a lot of buzzwords. It's machine learning. <laughs> Machine learning driven bundling, the future of JavaScript to link a lot of buzzwords. It's very optimistic also. And uh, an article for getting started with GuestJS can be also found on my GitHub. It's introducing GuestJS, a toolkit for enabling data driven user experience on the web. And I'm going to provide these links uh, in the document as well. Nice, nice. Well, that's a. Uh... A lot of interesting stuff to digest, right? And to take in. Very, very cool. Uh, appreciate it a lot. All right. Do we have any picks? You may want to do any picks before we wrap up. Anything you want to shout out? Mike. Mike's nodding his head. You want to go first, Mike? I got two. Um, my first one is actually very new. Um, it's actually from today's episode. Uh, Mika was explaining something, and he said. And he wasn't sure if he explained it well and said he needed to refactor that. So to be able to real-time refactor your thoughts to explain, explain something, I thought was absolutely brilliant. So I, I, if I can think of a way to better explain something, I like that to use the word refactor rather than to uh, refine an explanation. I like that. <laughs> and the other one that I have is just vacations or downtime. Take advantage of them, your company or uh, whoever you work for. Um, provides you with vacation time, utilize it and utilize it well, get away from your computer, do something else and come back refreshed. Nice. Good picks. Good picks. Thanks. Anybody else? Alyssa, do you have anything today? Uh, no, I'm the pickless, pickless right. wonder. <laughs> you you want to throw out there? Yeah, I have one pick. It's, it's kind of it's something that I'm actually going to read more about because it's not something that I totally understand yet. But I'll definitely encourage people to look at it and uh, explore the area. So Eric Meyer, he's currently director in engineering in Facebook, and he he basically built RX, not RxJS, but like RX, a reactive extension, and built also. He worked on the monads in Haskell and worked on 
uh, link in .NET, like he's kind of a legend. So he tweeted about one talk recently, where he where uh, his where, where basically the, the speaker uh, says how how deep learning is nothing more than just functional programming on top of calculus, not lambda calculus, but like calculus. So that's that's very very like, mind blowing thing. Uh, it takes a lot of time to digest. I still still haven't digested it completely yet. <laughs> so, but it's really fun, really cool one. Nice, nice. All right. Well, Nico, as always, thanks a lot for coming on, sharing your time. Uh, we all really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. For sure. All right, that's a wrap. Have a good one, everyone. See ya.